Angela starts and we're here to finish our discussion about Barbenheimer with the Oppenheimer version or side or edge. With me are Monica Brain, Matt Bars, Sunrise T. <laughs> Holly Tool, this is Telly. Okay, in all fairness, I did not watch Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer. 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 But I, I have been watching the series Manhattan, which is on Freebie if anybody wants to watch it. Yeah. But we can call it Opie. We can just call it Opie to make it easier. We're watching an Opie movie. Or actually, um, to me, this is actually the Ken movie, right? Because this is what happens if uh, Kingdom maintained, yes. they didn't eventually create the bomb and blow up everything, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's a guy on a horse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. All right, so I guess uh, what we can do is kind of break down the Ken movie and talk a little bit about it and the issues that came with the movie where, you know, we talked about how uh, Barbie had a lack of Native representation. This one's like no representation, even though there were Natives involved in the Trinity Project as well as those who were connected to the bomb and that they felt the effects and the aftermath of the bomb. I think, you know, something that people say is we were the first victims of the atomic bomb. And so we're gonna kind of talk about that. So I guess briefly we can, let's talk about Oppenheimer and just talk about like thoughts and feelings. And Angela will talk about Manhattan since she saw Manhattan. <laughs> and we're not talking about the Woody Allen movie. I that Monica went to the, uh, to the uh, library to watch because she does not support <laughs> Woody Allen. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Angela? I have a real quick question. Do we know who which, Native nations are in that area. There's San Ildefonso Pueblo. Right. It was built, Los Alamos was on the Tewa, am I saying that right? Tewa Reservation. And mm -hmm. others who were affected, I believe, were the Mescalero Apache. And there's probably more because in my reading, there was a lot of space that got covered when that bomb blew. Yeah. Plus Navajos because of the uranium mining. Uranium mining. As well. I mean, it's kind of a ripple effect. Right, right. Is there any more that you guys remember? Oh, oh, there are several Pueblos, I think. I don't yeah. know all of them, but there are several Pueblos, a lot of them Tiwa speaking in that area. Mm -hmm. And then like the Hispano people who were out there. Yeah. I read an article that said that like there were actually 14 families that were displaced whereas in the movie he said there's nothing but nobody and the indians just come here for like religious things so no biggie which is bad enough too right <laughs> you're blowing up a traditional grounds <laughs> yeah, so in, in oppenheimer he, do, he does talk about the religious stuff yeah because they talk about it in the series manhattan and sneaking like they called them Pueblans, but they spoke Spanish, but they snuck them onto base or post so that they could have a ceremony in the series. Did that, I mean, it's mm. a fictional series, so it, I'm mm -hmm. sure, it, I mean, who knows if it happened, but is that addressed any in the film? No. 
if there's black, people of color in this movie, they're in the background. Because I, I, in my memory, there is no people of color. What, what do you guys remember? There's one line where he, he addresses natives, and it comes out of nowhere. It's when he's talking to the president. And it just seems really, it, I'm not sure if they were. it was meant to show that Oppenheimer was, show, was showing sympathy or remorse or regret. But it, the line seemed out of place to me. Yeah, I believe he said, give the land back to the Indians. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. said, give it back to the Indians. But that's the only time Indians even mentioned that that's that five second line. It's strange that they, it's strange that they, the film does make the point that they're kind of like uh, building all this test site on the lands that the both Oppenheimers had um had under their own ownership but they don't describe how that ownership happened um right and it's weird that we're like looking at all of these lands and you know when they're first walking along and like the sequence with like you know they're just surveying the space and he's making an argument it feels like we see you know a great distance in the background and that, those were my major questions. It's like, what what's the deal with all the people that were here? And what are the neighbors? And how did they acquire the land? They sort of like skip through all of that. Um, and it's not just that, you know, like they, you know, they eminent domain to some degree, I guess, right? They take the spaces that are needed, but it's always like just with uh, advancement and action and putting theory into practice. But that it's, I feel like that's the only time I see any, any element of that sort of like implicated, mm -hmm. suggested based on the cinematography and the landscape, but not really vocalized, kind of sickening. Right. Well, I mean, the movie is, it seems like uh, folks, some, some of the reviews that I've read are, you know, it's a deeply problematic film because it's, um, it doesn't actually show the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki or the results of it, right? And um, when I saw it, I felt like I I got distracted, you know, because Christopher Nolan's visual storytelling is really, seemed really beautiful to me. And I remember texting my sister and saying like, wow, I wonder if this is Christopher Nolan's best work. And um, she was like, what are you talking about? Didn't it, you know, like, did, what did you think about it not showing, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki or all of the just gratuitous, there's just like a lot of nakedness that was completely unnecessary. Maybe I'm a prude, but <laughs> the, the, after I took a step back and I like talked to people, I was like, oh, this film was not that great. What happened? Anyway, what I wanted was to hear gratuitous nakedness for just him sitting naked in a chair with his lover, talking, working things out, and they're just completely naked. Or I don't know. It's it just seemed unnecessary to me. But. It it is it is super gratuitous. I do think that there is a purpose, but I think we linger too long. You know, like there's. These two women in his life, they're kind of pitted against each other. One is constantly clothed and overly uh, 
dripping and these sort of like matriarchal and and like motherly aspects to the character right this is like um the the woman that he marries and has a child that's always screaming in the other room and she is resigned to alcohol and not being a mother but that's what we see her as it's like uh, we don't see her as a scientist which is what she explains herself as we never see her apply herself in any way we don't have any idea about what she wants if she were to not have child we don't know any of those things but you know like this clothed uh mother drunken mother is juxtaposed with this lover that is like uh, political and motivating as a point of inspiration of um, someone that he can be free with. And, you know, like those things I understand poetically are related to like maybe nudity, um, which I guess I semi appreciate the fact that they're both nude. They're probably not equally nude, uh, but it is excessive. Like it keeps lingering, particularly on Florence Pugh. Um and it comes back it's a repeated image that happens like not just in the bedroom but it comes into like the the sequence where he's being questioned mm -hmm. um and uh it felt it felt like he was trying to be a little bit more artistic and sort of like mature in his poetic imagery which just comes off as like um overly indulgent and exploitive of a woman's body and it feels like it's more that I, I do think it plays into a larger thing for me, which is I really I don't like this film at all on so many levels. <laughs> Maybe I'll get to it, but uh, like when I hear people talk about it, it's it's like they watch a different film, and you know, right? I, this right, is yeah. what I was saying. And when I went to the seventy, lift the mat. I went to the seventy millimeter show. I couldn't make it past the first hour. I was like, this is like the, that was the second time I watched it. I was like, I can't, I can't sit here and watch this anymore. Uh, and I left the 70 millimeter because it was just sort of like on a technical side, it felt like it was a waste of film. I was like, why is this film being done on 70 millimeter? It doesn't, I don't think it looks like it's the best use of 70. I just got into the circumstance of Florence Pugh and I was like, I, I don't want to take this. Wow. And, yeah. And, and part of it is also, I think for me, I think it's kind of an argument uh, for Trump. I feel like it's a pro-Trump film that's sort of like implying the greatness of this man who's put on trial and he's sort of this trailblazer and there's like you know sexual infidelity is a part of like the trial and um, it's like in the end he's he brought us somewhere that the world changed as a result of his like variety. Uh, there's multiple trials um, and uh, I can't divorce those things for being like this argument for this um, man. <laughs> uh, in addition, yeah, in addition to the fact that I, I don't like the way it was made. I, I do think the, the atomic photography, I think that's the best part of the film. Uh -huh. Besides maybe the casting. I think like who the cast are are great, but I don't think it was well utilized. So Tell I know you want to jump in, but I just yeah. have to ask Sunrise, do you do you think that there's other folks out there like me that just got like kind of sucked in by all the pretty images and stuff? Because I feel like a stupid idiot. Really. Like I, I watched it and was like, that was gorgeous. And then 
literally had to talk to other people to like understand how problematic it was. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, like that is the spectacle of the bomb, though. I mean, one on one level, it's working enough to to like put people in a, a place where we understand why the spectacle of the bomb was intriguing for Americans outside of its political use. So, but uh, I most people I encounter love the film. The a lot of people are saying it's the best movie this year. Yeah. Right. Totally. So, last twenty years, a lot of a lot of people. Yeah, I'm not. Crazy. I'm not. But there's that's that's out there. It's crazy. Yeah, and there was a quote of uh, the director Christopher Nolan said, and the reason why he chose the way he told the story is that it's every it's from Oppenheimer's point of view, the experience, and so this is the director's interpretation of the experience, and so when people are criticizing him about the stuff that we're talking about he's saying that it's not a documentary but an interpretation and so it's always going to be from his point of view but then in this article called ethics on film a discussion of opera primer they say as it stands the only reaction we see to the atomic bomb are from the people who built it who are mostly white american affluent and suffered no physical effects and so, you know, you have that going on. So let's kind of get real, get this over with so we can talk about the, the other stuff. Uh, but, but real quick, um, Matt, what was your perception of, of this film? Did you did you like it? Did you hate it? Did, was it somewhere in between? Was it mid? Um, the first time I saw it, I honestly, um, I was doing Barbenheimer and it was the second part of that double feature. And I... I honestly nodded off a few times. <laughs> it could be because I was tired. Um, it, uh, it was late. I will say the second time I saw it wasn't 70 millimeter. And I, I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, but then I kept thinking about the problems, specifically with like biopics. I mean, I don't know. The, the movie's three hours long. And it rem made me think of like uh, Hoffa. The movie, they're, it seems like they're trying to celebrate the character in Hoppe's case, but um, we don't really know a whole lot about him. He doesn't seem like a great guy anyway. Um, so it seemed like this kind of a big, and, and I, I like the movie Hoppe um, on a technical level. Um, and this is similar in that way, just the kind of the techniques that they use, it uh, makes it interesting for the audience. Um, but yeah, just kind of reflecting on it, kind of um, the same with Monica. I'm like, maybe I, maybe I kind of swept in initially. Um, and what about you, Monica? Anything else you wanted to add to what you were talking about? I just think like for if folks really want to like learn a little bit more about this, definitely like check out learning about the. Um, the legacy of uranium mining on the Navajo Nation. The president of the Navajo Nation, Boone Nygren, wrote an op-ed about Oppenheimer and how you know, Navajo folks are just completely that they're the church rock spill affecting them and these these just completely abandoned uranium mines that that still are just poisoning their land. And it was in um time magazine was the the op-ed one place to to sort of check this out and then just google downwinders because the folks in new mexico 
who are impacted by this are called they call themselves downwinders from the trinity test and i i think it's really interesting that the trinity test was on july 16th and then the church rocks bill was on july 16th as well so we have these really significant periods of history that are have affected you know not just native people but people many people of color in new mexico um that's probably worth more of your time than sitting through three hours of Oppenheimer. And I just feel really strongly that anything that we do on World War II needs to involve images of both the Holocaust and the atomic bomb. No matter whose story you're telling, whose eyes you're telling it through, those those images need to, it's critical that folks see those images. And Angela, speaking of alternative ways of watching, learning about Oppenheimer, <laughs> you watched a show called Manhattan. Do you want to give us a little discussion about that or a review <laughs> of, of what you saw in that? Because we had some native representation in that TV show, right? Yeah, they really do address all of the people that were involved in that project and what life was like there and how crappy it was and kind of slapdash and a lot of the natives and the his, Hispanics is that what we call them I think when I when I read the articles there it was his Hispanos so a lot of the natives and Hispanos are depicted as being servants so they're they come in as the cooks the maids the you know the au pairs you know they're helping all of the scientists and the families. Uh, I will say that one of the storylines has David Minthunder in it. And so he showed up. I was like, hey, I know him. And yeah. he, but it was really confusing. It's obvious that they don't know the difference between everybody because they were saying that they were Pueblo people that wanted to get on post to do this ceremony and yet they all spoke spanish and so well i mean a lot of folks speak spanish because they were colonized but they were also not living in a pueblo they were living in a little hut in the middle of nowhere i should do some more research (laughs) they were living in a straw hut no it looked like a sod hut Uh, yeah we had to do research on that maybe maybe there was and we just didn't realize so it's very, it's very soapy. It's, it's, I think only two seasons, but it's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Very soapy, very dramatized. Cool, cool. And and so for, yeah, for my two cent uh, review, I guess, is that I like the first part and the last part and all that middle stuff I could just not watched. And it also felt like if you didn't know the history, you'd probably be lost because there's a lot of stuff that happened in it that I feel like, you know, I'm glad I read up on this stuff in my as a kid. I like seeing the beginning when all like the badass physicists of that period. So like that first that first half of 20th century is like the who's who of physicists and the beginning of understanding quantum physics. And I like that shit when people start talking about that. And then you get Niels Bohr shows up who's like a badass and they need to make a movie about him. And so then so that part I liked. And this whole middle part seemed like it was not, it was going over stuff that's already known, at least with people who care about 
these things. And then the last half, the black and white part of the trial, I kind of leaned in more to that because that's where a lot of the drama was happening. And But still, did I really care about whether he gets security clearance? Not really. I mean, it didn't express why he really cared about having that security clearance. It's like, dude, you're done with the Manhattan Project. Who gives a fuck what you do? And and I don't know if they fully explained the commie Red Scare stuff to for an audience to say, oh, it's about the Red Scare. Because yeah, they just know that stuff or study or, you know, learn that stuff as a kid. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing along the same lines of like, literally show the pictures of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and and remind people about the World War II and the Holocaust. Also, I mean, there's just, I don't know. We are at such a deplorable state in this country when it comes to teaching his, uh, history, you know? Literally laws being passed telling us how we can and can't talk about what actually happened. And so it, it's just happening in the movies as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that like anyone just like in their twenties who went and saw that know that like the whole era where you couldn't be a communist and you were blacklisted and you couldn't do any work? I just started listening to a, an in-depth history podcast about the rise of McCarthyism, and this one goes traces it all the way back to the end of World War II, and so I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. It's like, it's like learning about the rise of the Nazi party in Germany. We, we don't learn how that happened in our schools. Mm -hmm. Just like, boom, there he was kind of like, boom, there was McCarthy. There's go into all the disinformation and all the propaganda that goes along with it. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sorry. I, I feel like there's also like just the whatever nolan is interested in is not really communicating so that we comprehend like these logistics um it seems like he's definitely keeping us moving i i remember i was getting really frustrated at the beginning on the first viewing when the physics wasn't really being explained to us and uh and whenever it seemed like he was like had these contemplative looks and he's like looking at the board and he has an epiphany the camera would cut away from like the information <laughs> and uh even when even when there's like i don't know any kind of documents even the poetry it's like we cut away from it so that somebody then has the statement of like oh i understand it here's what we need to do and it's just sort of like keeps moving us through i don't know if it's because he thinks the audience is going to get bored or he doesn't trust that they have an interest or that he can develop an interest in the audience no matter what it feels like he's not interested in any of those things if he is capable of it and it feels yeah. like that's a detriment to history i would say it's probably hard to like, filmically show physics right <laughs> to teach physics because physics is complicated right and so you know like there was the the one with russell crowe something about his mind beautiful mind beautiful mind i yeah, was just thinking mind. that yeah and that had good ways in which they showed how yeah how to understand physics and how he learned mm-hmm. physics so there are ways to do it and also with in let's wrap this part up uh, <laughs> talking about oppenheimer but also i Please. felt like uh this should have been a mini series 
because there's like there's so many elements in this story that could have been told that we didn't that we I felt like you didn't learn enough or or you lost stuff and even the messaging was is like yeah yeah what do you expect from a movie it is a miniseries it's called Manhattan so there we go so let's let's watch Manhattan instead of this shit (laughs) all right any last words from anybody for the movie itself and then we'll talk about the native shit in addition to that I would suggest watching Hiroshima Mono more nobody has seen 1959 it's part of like the French New Wave Alain Renat yeah Or, or uh, this great film called Black Rain by Imamura from 1989, uh, yeah. looking at uh, villagers that were affected by the bombing. Um, Japanese filmmaker. Okay. And there's also the Matthew Modine produced documentary coming out, Downwind. And that one's more about the Nevada incident, right. the Nevada bombings, but it also you know touches these things that we're about to talk about. And, and there's also, watch- go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go I was like, just watch documentaries if you're interested in Oppenheimer because they get better at telling his stories. These various documentaries you can find on YouTube. Right, that's true. I mean, right now there is a Steve James, right? So like of um, who James fame, who just had this documentary called The Compassionate Spy. And it's about the Manhattan Project uh, as a teenager. Um, you know, so like that's documentary. Um, and also if you just want to see the test footage, I don't know if it's, Great to look at this work. It's a very famous one, but um, Trinity and Beyond, uh, the atomic bomb movie from 90-something, Peter Curran sort of cut together uh, most of the material. And it, it gets very unsettling. Um, but, uh, you know, took all these different resources together and were able to kind of see most of the way that um, the influence of that bomb could have an effect on life, on matter. Um, and it's there's no interviews or anything; it's just the footage. Okay. Yeah. I watched I watched one in college called just that was just called Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that had the footage of after mm-hmm. the bomb and everything mm-hmm. like that. And I think that's a also should be a video to watch. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, as we know that during this war, we had native influence right native people who contributed to helping out the war effort so to speak like for instance our code talkers who in world war ii i believe they were comanche navajo and hopi was there any other was hopi yeah there were hopis right and who else was there that were code talkers there was talk code talkers that was world uh, war one i don't know if there were two there, there was a number of of code talkers i think there were even like cheyenne code talkers yeah that's right that's right yeah and uh, you know, on my quick Google search, I <laughs> just found these these listed because I remember there's I forgot to mention Diane, of course. And so and so then there's the little discussed natives who worked on the Manhattan Project. Do you guys know about about them that you can share with us to talk about? It sounds like you do. Well, it's like you know. Yeah, I have no idea. Wrote some you're, shit down. Yeah, you're you're holding some cards in your pocket there. Yeah, did you do some research? <laughs> Did you actually do some research? I guess so. I, I read an article, as as Monica said. <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't just say it. I'm sure she reads it. <laughs> I saw an article. You, you ever heard of Wikipedia? <laughs> I believe uh, <laughs> that's the source of all all uh, truth. Wikipedia, and uh, so yeah, there was like a, there were people who did contribute to the Manhattan Project. There was uh, Phoebe Smith, who was Eastern Band Cherokee Nation, who worked at Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Hmm. 
And she worked, she was what they call the cauldron operator who separated uranium 238 with uranium 235. Oh. And those, yeah, and those are mainly monitored by the women. And so what uranium 235 was is that it was used for Little Boy, which was the, the bomb that blew up Hiroshima. In talks with her, they, they said that she didn't know what they were work doing until after the bomb dropped. They just of knew course. that they had a job, they were making good money, and so on. For, for obvious okay. reasons. I mean, it was top secret. Well, it was also a nuclear power plant. I mean, Oak Ridge was one mm. of the first nuclear power plants in the whatever hills those are, right? Smoky Mountains. It was, and they were trying to find alternative energy for that part of the world to deal with what the poverty and stuff that happens in the mm -hmm. smoky mountains mm -hmm. and i don't know when like nuclear became a thing do you guys know historically when nuclear was a thing that we use as our source of energy i don't know either and what's even more tragic about all of this is we're talking about the use of nuclear power and the 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 preparations for safety um, were always guided by things that were happening during the Manhattan Project or some of these early nuclear sites. And the safety ratings were adjusted primarily for men in their early 20s or 30s and were not at all the same um, safety ratings that would be for women. And that was not even like even thought of until like probably the 80s or 90s. Right. So like if we've got these women that are collecting nuclear materials and there is some sort of immediate effect on them, something that was n not even comprehended to consider its safety protocol. Um, so like that's they, even <laughs> worse. You know? Yeah. And they made the women work at cauldrons. Right. Like <laughs> right. Just, the fact that the, <laughs> they were like, oh, well you can go stir that up or something like that. I don't know. Oh, it's just, it's disturbing. Yeah, all right. Here's your little pointy hat to wear. Yeah. Well, and they talk about that in the series is when they go to that power plant and the nuclear scientists are like, you cannot turn this on. And they go to the politicians of the state of Tennessee and the politicians are like, turn it on. It's fine. And then the whole thing almost melts down. Yeah. Ugh. Crazy. And then, so there was also Herbert York, who was a Mohawk physicist, who worked at the Berkeley Radiation Lab in California. And he went to Oak Ridge and worked with Phoebe Smith. I mean, I don't know if they knew each other, but he was also working in that uranium-235 part. And after, <laughs> after that, he oversaw the development of the H-bomb. And he was also the first chief scientist at the Pentagon's Advanced Research Project Agency, where he oversaw space and anti-missile research. And after he retired, he became an anti-nuclear and anti-whatever, anti-proliferation person. I don't know what proliferation means, so. That means cutting back on how many nukes there are. All right, Pro there you go. Yeah, pro pro proliferation is- <laughs> Don't make any more new ones. Yeah, there you it's, go. See, it's right. a way to stem the mutually assured destruction that keeps us all in balance. So he had his come to Jesus moment. And then there was Floyd Agnes Aggie Lee, who was a biologist from Santa Clara Pueblo, who was at Los mm -hmm. Alamos. 
Yeah. And she was a hematologist who drew the, in the, the blood of the, of the scientists to make sure they mm. weren't exposed. And there was large quantities of radiation. After the war, she went to Chicago and got finished her PhD. And she was one of the founders of the American Indian Science and Engineering Society. So oh, cool. Really, yeah. Now that's and, the story we need to see, I think. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. No, but Hollywood will mess it up. There'll be like some guy and it's some white guy is like trying to tear down the sign for the bathrooms and none of that was true. And it'll <laughs> it's yeah, it's hidden figures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Like save your characters. <laughs> you know that never happened? I was so disappointed to find out that that guy he did not pull down the sign. And another thing that happened was that while the outsiders were out there, they started collecting Native art from that area. And according to one article, it changed the traditional approach to pottery. Because before, in a traditional sense, pottery was made only for specific special occasions. And after they came, it started becoming mass produced for sale. And whether that's good or bad, I don't know. You probably have to talk to the people from that area. But also, on a good note, during that era, there was an introduction of a world-famous potter by the name of Maria Montoya Martinez. And this person was a Tewa potter and became world-renowned after the war. And her son, Popovi Da, worked on the Manhattan Project as a machinist. And forgive me when I mispronounce names or mispronounce words. I'm doing my best and I apologize in advance. Thank you. What Angela was saying, like there was also these, there were people who worked around Los Alamos, like construction type people who helped build the town. And um, they also did like uh, uh, truck driving, construction, maintenance workers, carpenters and gardeners. And there was also maids and childcare providers who, who contributed to that that were, you know, native. And so one of the things were like, a lot of them were from the San El Defonso Pueblo. And so the lab would have to close down on January 23rd because that was San El Defonso Day. And so yeah. all the workers would leave. And so they had to shut it down. So they had to go, go you know, do the dances and the feast days and all that. Can you guys share what happened when the military arrived? on that ground. I read an article that said that they came, they displaced 42 families, 32 Hispano families from Pajarito Plateau. Then 48 hours to leave their homes and land, in some cases at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. And this is from the CBC in Canada to build the lab. Um, and so there is a, a computer scientist who worked at Los Alamos for 32 years named uh, Loida Martinez, who collected these stories and and cited these accounts from evicted ranching and farming, she went on to like campaign for for these evicted homesteaders and for the rights of of natives and and women and other lab employees and won two class action lawsuits uh, relating to equal pay and treatment for wow. for those folks. So. We should add this article to our um, notes. Yeah, that's like our own Aaron Brockovich. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Another movie that we can make. Right, exactly. Yeah. Eloise mm -hmm. Cobell is our Aaron Brockovich. Mm -hmm. 
for reals. There's another movie. Sunrise, get you ready to get to it. Yeah, uh, I'm trying actually. Are you seriously? Oh, yeah. about her? Oh, not not about her. No. Oh, but about this time period. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So yeah, so that was another thing too. Is like when they came to the farmers, a lot of times they didn't know what to do with the cattle, so they just either let the cattle loose or they just murdered them, shot them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the farmers, some would get compensated and some would not. And then with like the people who were not white, they would make less money than the white farmers. They would be giving them less money than the white farmers. In Hanford, Washington, where they had a plutonium production, and then there, again, it was like their sacred sites, their land that they couldn't use. And they gave them like daily visits on to go fishing. But then once that plutonium place shut down, they still won't let them go back to their land. Because now it's a, a government site that's protected. Yeah. Installation. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a test in on an island? You're talking about it called Bikini, Bikini Kill? Atoll? Is that how yeah. you say it in real life? I always say Atoll because of A-T-O-L-L. I don't know. Okay. I, I should have looked that up. But they everybody was displaced from there as well. Right. Yeah. Was this an atomic test? Yes, island? it was. And if we if we were are good with our film knowledge and history, if you heard of a movie called Godzilla, it's influenced from that incident. There's a scene where there's oh. fishermen when that ha- when you know Godzilla comes and there's and that's supposed to represent what happened at Bikini Atoll because there were fishermen that were out in the waters when it blew up and they all got burned and some of them I don't know some of them died but I know they they got really burned bad. Because they, uh, at Bikini Atoll, they, um, like, coconuts was the was a primary food source. Yeah. And so that was, like, that was, you know, like, the coconuts were, had the um, radiation in it. Yeah. And pretty much a, a lot of that island was just badly just destroyed. And, the, and they say that SpongeBob's bikini, what's it called? Bikini? Uh... Bottom. Bikini Bottom is is uh, supposed to be referencing Bikini Atoll. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's... oh, that's that's why there's a land squirrel underneath the water uh-huh. because it's unsafe. Oh, mm. well, Sunrise, did you see that documentary that um, where they had the historical footage of of the folks who lived on that island and how they were like they were happy to leave for this test, and and they're all just sitting there. Like I remember watching that when I was when I was studying documentaries. I don't remember that. Let's kind of talk about what happened in the aftermath of the bomb. So the bomb blew up, boom. And can you guys kind of talk about what happened with that? Because Monica kind of started on it and ended up talking about the downwinders and the effects of it all. But can you guys do you guys want to talk more in depth of that within the next few minutes? Well, I mean, that was the kind of the end of the Pacific theater. And, you know, everybody thought that they had created this thing that would end all wars and, you know, like the ultimate weapon that as we, well, all of us that grew up in during the Cold War know that was not the case because, I mean, we just talked about nuclear proliferation and we've got ICBMs now and 
Reagan with the Star Wars defense system and mutually assured destruction and Dr. Strangelove and how I came to love the bomb. Yeah. And yeah, nuclear de deterrence where it seems the Cold War is in high effect because of everyone's assumed um, development of a bomb and um, the and fact there's that all those little countries that are scrambling to get dirty bombs and it's just right it it was definitely a pandora's box i was even wanting to talk about even what happened in new, in the new mexico area the yeah of, of what happened especially like you know uranium mines and those kind of things because one of the things is that it happened they dropped the bomb during a thunderstorm and so the thunderstorm yeah. kicked up wind to make that right debris go farther than it should have so my math my high school math analysis teacher was in the u.s army and did research on the bomb and of course i grew up during the cold war and every year his nuclear lecture and talk about the best ways to protect yourself and how all of that works and how all of the the waves come at you and everything and it was just so interesting and you know and he would literally chase the mushroom clouds in a plane and get out and measure stuff and lived a long full life I mean, it's really interesting how some people are more affected than others by the health problems that come from it. And I don't know if anybody's ever bothered to research that, but it is kind of odd that people <clears throat> could actually just, you know, handle it and be fine. And other people were not. I think it had a lot to do with like where you lived in place. And so if you stayed in that area versus it was the amount of time uh, of the exposure and radiation. So we'll put a link to the Tularosa Downwinders um, website, which is just trinitydownwinders.com. Um, but basically um, I heard testimony from someone from that group and she was saying that, you know, she just basically listed off every, oh, so many of her family members that had um, cancer, she was she had a, a rare type of cancer that when she was diagnosed with it, her doctor said, well, when were you exposed to radiation? And she was born after the, the test. So, um, and the, for, for folks in New Mexico, they weren't part of the legislation that covered, you know, um, compensation for the downwinders. Um, was it Utah that was the other test site? There's Nevada. Oh, Nevada. I mean, yeah. there's over like a hundred of test sites, even yeah. up, uh, Alaska. Yeah, there's several. Oh, okay. And so, underwater. And underwater, oh, yeah. Gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like the downwinders in New Mexico, um, they still don't qualify for compensation. There's legislation right now um, that, I mean, efforts to always pass legislation for them. But um, 
they yeah it's definitely and if you go to this website you can read like people wrote handwritten accounts of what happened that day and what they saw and um they've got these it's it's a pretty pretty interesting pretty compelling um effect on on those folks in in that area in new mexico yeah there's tina cordova who who founded the who was a co-founder of tularosa tularosa i don't know how to say that tularosa basin down consortium and yeah. and she's one of the big advocates who are pushing and that that uh law is reca and what is it called the radiation exposure compensation act and so what they it's it's the address of atomic area failures and where they pay fifty thousand dollars one time payment of fifty thousand dollars to citizens who were exposed and one hundred thousand dollars to uranium miners meal workers and weapons uh people who work in the weapon industry and so okay so in this thing I got was it was more than a thousand tests were done over a dozen locations from Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean from Alaska to Mississippi and the RECA RECA has been limited down rate downwinders with radiation linked illness in only a handful of counties in Nevada Arizona and Utah and so she's pushing to get New Mexico because they were you know the ground zero of that and this this the RECA law is about to expire in 2024 and so they're pushing just trying to get it extended and um and speaking of this person tina cordova uh she was talking about the movie as saying that it's just the over glorification of the science and scientists again with no re reflection on the harm done on the people in new mexico mm -hmm. and they actually were trying to reach out to the filmmakers from the time it was you know mentioned to the time it was released probably even today and they said just include a panel about with us and our, our a message at the end of the film that acknowledges the sacrifice and suffering that happened to the people in new mexico and because you know they were saying like human beings american citizens children were harmed in the process of this trinity test and she just wanted to acknowledge that and so i think we're kind of running out of time we kind of talked a little bit and really didn't get to talk about like all the shit that really went down like how the government tried to sweep under the rug what happened there in the in, in the actual you know uh exposure that happened how they had shitty equipment to to monitor it and how you know there was people that were lived as far as 12 years i mean 12 miles away who were near that explosion and how the explosion did expand out to i think it was like more than 100 miles of radius you know it's just i can't even remember what it was now and and all the things that happened they were not told what was going to happen so people were outside and all this white dust just started falling and some kids thought it was like they were pretending like it was snow so they would go out there and play in it and and, and try to make snowballs out of it but it was basically plutonium there were some cows who got burned their skin was burned and stuff like that like you said people who were affected there was a story about this lady who had a kid without and the kid was born without eyes and they assumed it's because of that plutonium and then there's the mines where there were spills and those kind of things and keep in mind that the EPA didn't start until 1970. So all that was just, who gives a fuck and let's just dump shit wherever we want. And the ideology of like the Western science and Western ideal, idealism is like, there's nothing out there is not how 
I don't see it because, you know, you still got to land, you got the water, you got the air, you got animals, you got all these things that live there. And they are just as important as human beings. They're just as important as everything else because they affect us on an ecological sense. And so to me, I thought that like, you know, the government kind of fucked everybody basically. And in the movie, they talked about how they're going to blow up shit. We don't know. We might destroy the world, but well, let's try it anyway. Right. So anybody want to uh, talk, add any conclusion, conclusionary stuff to this? Well, I, I'll, I will just briefly say that, you know, we're talking about bombings and we're talking about nuclear power plants, but there's also other nuclear devices like missiles. Um, and those things are smaller and they seem less, uh, I don't know, it, 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 they seem less imposing because their mark is not as large, but the radiation is is still affecting people who manage those kinds of weapons and the testing. And that testing still continues, you know, like that stuff is um, lower in its uh, footprint. Um, but those things continue to be tested uh, all, all around these same spaces. Um, and, and then also just you're talking about the EPA, but also the Nuclear Waste Policy Act, which was about management of it, didn't even occur until the early 80s. Mm. Right. So like even a longer period of time, like 40 years passes before we really start even considering like how to uh, manage the future. Never mind. I'm sure the past was just, you know, just hide it into the desert and pack it down in the barrels. And it's still you know, it still functions in the same way that any place that's been hit by bombs with nuclear fallout, these places, like you can't even, Bikini Atoll, you you still can't live there without having some sort of illness or repercussions on your, your, your anatomy. So, I mean, those things continue to happen as well as mining still continues to happen, right? Yeah. So like these are the other areas today where we're, seeing an effect of the fallout and then i'm sure there's sovereignty rights that are also entangled in all of this it was a tribe in in utah and they were they wanted to store uranium rods from mm -hmm. nuclear reactors on the skull valley i want to say goshoot goshoot reservation um or yucca mountain mm-hmm and that's that fight has been going on for a long time in terms of storing because not only is are people fighting it being stored there, but they're also having folks who would be along the path to transport it right there right um are fighting it as well um so that continues to be like problematic for any native nations Right. And that's our primary waste facility right now for nuclear waste in the U.S. New Mexico is like one of the highest money makers of dealing with nuclear issues, nuclear waste, nuclear bombs, nuclear testing. And they say if 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 New Mexico seceded from the union, they would be like the third largest nuclear powerhouse, basically. And so, uh, Matt or Angela, did you want to say anything else before we conclude? Did you talk about the new national memorial around the oh, the new national memorial around the Grand Canyon that will help curtail the mining of uranium on sacred land? Tell us more. No, we didn't. President Biden just signed it into 
being one of the perks of being a president is you get to create memorials. And so he did the Emmett Till Memorial. And now this new memorial around the Grand Canyon. It's a small effort uh, while they continue to make more weapons. I mean, it's like first start or sign, not even sign a treaty that says we'll get rid of the weapons, but that we won't do first strike. That's not going to happen. <laughs> All right. We're close to the end of the show. And we didn't get to cover everything that we wanted. But if you go to the reference in the show notes, you'll find a lot of stuff and a lot of information that we talked about. Now, you can go on to a new show. But I'm going to kind of talk more about some of the stuff that we learned while we prepared for this show that I thought it was of interest or was something that, you know, was important. So one thing I learned was that there's this term called nuclear colonialism. And Mariah Gomez, a professor at UNM, defines it as a state-sponsored occupation of indigenous homelands resulting in the displacement or elimination of indigenous peoples in favor of a nuclear economy. All right, so I don't know how many tribes have been affected by this nuclear fallout and waste and explosions and to what extent even with indigenous peoples. But I came across this website that lists some tribal nations and communities who have been affected. For instance, there's the Aleut Native Corporation, the Inupiat Village of Point Hope, the natives of the Columbian Basin in Washington State. And that includes the Wanapum tribe, the Nez Perce, the Confederate tribes of the Yakima Nation, and the Confederate tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation. And there was the Navajo Nation and Western Shoshone. And also, forgive me if I mispronounce some names or mispronounce anything, and I apologize. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I came across a quote from the Chief Manhattan Project Medical Advisor, Stafford Warren. And he said, quote, no one really wanted to pursue the radiation possibilities for fear of getting involved in litigation. The army and government lawyers wanted to put it all out of sight and mind as quickly as possible. Three weeks after the bombing of Hiroshima, it was then stated that the explosion in New Mexico was revealed to be an atomic bomb. But even then, the army publicly maintained for long afterward that any fears of radiation sickness from nuclear weapons were only quote unquote enemy propaganda. Another thing that's not really talked about is that the Manhattan Project had concern about the ingestion of radioactive plutonium. And this happened around 1944, and it's because a chemist accidentally swallowed some of the plutonium while performing an experiment. And so that incident led Oppenheimer to approve human experimenting in hopes of measuring the dangers of plutonium ingestion. So about three months before the Trinity test, Manhattan Project doctors began secretly injecting hospital patients with plutonium in a program of unwitting radiation exposure that would last until 1947. So basically from 1944 to 1947, hospital patients were unknowingly and without their approval injected with radiation. And not to sound like Kai Rizdahl, but here's some numbers. In 1940, there was approximately 149,000 people that were within Trinity's 100 mile radius. And that included some of the people who had the, gotten the effects of cancer, including those who were at the villages of Caris Zozo, Tularosa, and much of the city of Alamogordo, and also 
the Mescalero Apache Reservation. And within 200 miles, you had Albuquerque and El Paso, but it's estimated that the radiation spread as far as 2,700 square miles downwind. And there's even a story that a batch of film got ruined at the Eastman Kodak factory in Indiana around the same time that that bomb dropped. Conservatively, they estimate there's the United States spends about $6 trillion developing nuclear weapons. And since 1990, RICA has paid an estimated $2.5 billion to compensate people with illnesses linked to nuclear weapon development. So that compensation amounts to less than 0.0005% of the nation's total spending on nuclear weapons. So while funding for nuclear weapons grow, the numbers for RICA will effectively become zero if it expires in July, 2024. And if it expires, New Mexico and the other lands that have not been compensated will not be included. So I would ask that you reach out to your lawmakers and congressmen and leadership to ask them to extend and expand RICA. And please check out trinitydownwinders.com for more of this information and more stuff about these incidents and also the personal stories of people who were affected by this bomb. And so I'm gonna end this discussion with a quote from Paul Pino, who was a person whose family was affected by the Trinity Project. And he said, quote, if somebody harmed your family, you would never stop trying to get justice for them. If somebody killed your daughter or your mom or your brother, even if it was by accident, you wouldn't stop until you have had justice. You wouldn't stop until you had acknowledgement. You wouldn't stop until they told the truth. I'll end with that. Go ahead and sign us out, Angela. Thank you for joining us for the second half of Barbenheimer. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. Of course, we are always welcome to visit our social media channels and contribute to the conversation. We love to hear from our listeners. And we are on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And be sure to watch for our Patreon channel being set up. And join us next time. Same Indigenous time, same Indigenous channel. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real. Indigenous. Indigenous. Why are you guys going so slow? It's always sunrise. <laughs> Clocks. The, uh, uh, what do you call it? Frankenstein. <laughs> Might as well say putting on the Ritz. <laughs> putting on the Rika.